Welcome to the Money Love Podcast. I'm your host and money coach, Paige Pritchard. If you're ready to uplevel your results in relationship with money, you're in the right place. Each week, I give you the tools to transform your mindset, manage your emotions, and achieve results with your money you never dreamed were possible. Hi, love. Welcome to episode 49 of the Money Love Podcast. We're just going to dive right into the content of this episode today. I am really excited for it. So I don't want to dilly-dally. I just want to get right to it. So some of you guys who follow me on Instagram might have heard me make the announcement that my primary area of focus moving forward is going to be the spending side of money. And money as a general topic is so broad. I mean, there are so many different facets between making money, investing, budgeting, debt, the home buying process, your credit score. It goes on and on. And Frankly, for the past four years, I have talked about money at a very high level, skimming around to all of these different topics. And with that, and this is what I said on Instagram, it really became that I can help you a little bit in a lot of different areas of your money. But what I am really looking to do moving forward and what I'm really excited about is to truly dive deeper with all of you to really dig deep into one particular area of money so that I can really help you get transformative results with your finances. And I think that this is the right move for now because if there is one area of money that over the past four years I have seen that in my opinion is the most important, but yet is actually the hardest for people to get a handle on, it is the spending side and the spending piece of money. I think that the spending side of money is the great equalizer when it comes to building wealth. Now, what do I mean by that? Well, when it comes to making money, we're all going to be in different boats there because there are so many different factors and inputs that go into how much money each of us will make over our lifetime. Now, I still believe, and I always will, that none of us are truly limited in how much money we're able to make based off of the choices that we decide to make in life. But we will all make varying life choices, which will then impact how much money we will all earn in our lifetimes. So how much money we make is going to be all over the place, but then it comes to actually spending the money. And that's a different story because I don't care how much money you make. I don't care if you make $20,000 a year, $200,000 a year, or $2 million a year. Each of us has equal opportunity to become good spenders of the money that we make, to care for, to nurture the money that flows to us, regardless of the actual numerical amount of that money. In the personal finance world, what people say is, is that it's not how much money that you make that makes you rich. It's actually your spending habits that make you rich. And frankly, I couldn't agree with that statement more. We've seen this. We see people who make millions a year and end up going bankrupt. And then you also have people who make relatively average incomes who then retire multimillionaires. So right now I will tell you, I'm reading a book called The Psychology of Money. The author's name is Morgan Housel. I'm about halfway through it right now, haven't finished it, but I am really enjoying it. It's probably the best money book that I've read in a really long time. If you are looking actually for a good personal finance book, 
But a book that more so focuses on behavior paired with finances, read this book, The Psychology of Money. It's an excellent read. Highly recommend it. But he opens up the book, the very first chapter. He shares this story that I found utterly fascinating. He said that he used to be a valet at this really swanky hotel in LA. And there was a guest who was a technology executive that would frequent the hotel. And obviously, tech exec had a ton of money. But the author tells a couple stories about how he was just so overly obnoxious about his money and about his wealth. He actually describes this guy's relationship with money as childish and insecure. And then he goes on to tell the craziest stories. So I'll share a couple of them with you. So he said that one time he witnessed this guy gave someone at the hotel a couple thousand dollars in cash, told them to walk down to a jewelry store down the street, buy a thousand dollar gold coins, like gold coins that were worth a thousand each. And then once he had those coins, him and his friends took them down to the ocean and literally just skipped them in to the Pacific Ocean just for fun. Seriously, like can you imagine? Can you imagine doing that? So that was one story. He also told another story about how one night he was in the lobby of the hotel. He broke this lamp, this expensive lamp. The manager of the hotel came up to him and was like, hey, you're going to have to pay the $500 to replace the lamp. And the guy, the technology exec, took out $5,000 in cash, threw it in the manager's face and said, $500? Like, you think $500 actually matters to me? Here's $5,000. And then he basically was like, don't ever insult me like that again. Get out of my face. Then the author reveals that he finds out years later that this guy was totally broke. And it's kind of like, well, obviously he had it coming to him, but I'm sure that these are just stories that one guy, one valet at a hotel experienced. And I'm sure that there are probably hundreds more stories like this that ultimately led to this guy going broke. So in the book, he says that doing well with money actually has little to do with how smart you are and a lot to do with how you behave. And behavior is actually really hard to teach, even to smart people. He says, a genius who loses control of their emotions can be a financial disaster, kind of like this guy. The opposite is also true. Ordinary folks with no financial education can be wealthy if they have a handful of behavioral skills that have nothing to do with formal measures of intelligence. And when it comes to your behavioral skills with money, spending money and becoming a good spender is probably, in my opinion, the most important part of that. So today, in this episode, we are going to walk through five principles that I think makes someone a good spender. Spending money in a way that is healthy, that is balanced, that isn't too restrictive, but it also allows you to live your life while simultaneously hitting your financial goals so that you're really able to create an abundant life, again, regardless of how much money you actually make. Going back to what I say about spending being the great equalizer, because all of us, each one of us, has equal opportunity to implement, to practice, and to master these five principles. So let's just jump in to the principles. Let's start with the first one. Now, this first one is going to seem obvious. It's going to seem a little rudimentary. But I think once I explain it to you, you will understand why based on how we're all taught to spend money 
I included this as a principle because it's actually not as obvious to a lot of people with how as a culture we are taught what spending should look like. And the first principle is that to be a good spender, that you actually have to be spending money. Now, of course, everyone on planet Earth, unless you are living totally off the grid, which there are some people that do that, but for most of us, we are spending money. We have to in order to survive, right? Like, of course, we are spending money on our basic needs and basic necessities. So we're all spending money. But what I really mean by this principle, and I think we know the difference, we all know people like this, is that you're not a money hoarder. You're not in scarcity with money. You don't have fear and anxiety and a ton of resistance to spending money. Now, this principle is more so the foundation that all of the other principles lie upon. Because I think that this looks a certain way. Spending money should look a certain way. But I thought it was important to include this as the underlying foundational principle because many of us have been taught that being a good spender means that you actually don't spend money or the goal is to spend as little as possible. That being a good spender is actually about how much you don't spend rather than how much you do spend. And of course, I don't want you to be spending every penny to your name, right? That's not the goal. But I also don't want you to be hoarding your money. That comes from a very fearful and scarce place. There are a lot of people out there who think that they're really good, and I'm doing air quotes when I say good, they're really good with money because they are super, super frugal, and they go to such great lengths to save money and not actually spend their money. And getting them to actually spend money on anything is like pulling teeth. And my argument is that doesn't make you a good spender. Being a money hoarder means you're not spending money. And you can't get good at something that you're not doing, right? Like in order to get good at something, to become skilled in it, you have to be engaging in the activity. You have to be practicing. You have to be making mistakes. You have to be learning and making adjustments from those mistakes. You actually have to spend money to be a good spender, oddly enough. So again, this is the first principle. I get it. It seems obvious, but there are a lot of people out there who have this one all wrong. They think that the goal is to spend as little as possible, and that's not the goal. I don't think the goal should be restriction, scarcity, fear, guilt, anxiety. And that is exactly the type of energy that is driving a lot of the spending being done by people who think that they're good spenders, but in my opinion, they're really not. So then the question becomes, okay, part of having a balanced relationship with money is spending it to a degree. But what should that look like? Well, that kind of takes us into the next four principles. So the second principle is planning your spending ahead of time, at least 24 hours in advance. Here is what that practically looks like just in everyday life. This one means that you are making a plan for your money, a budget, a spending plan, a money map, whatever the heck you feel good calling it. But you do need to have a clear path for your money because A, when you do this, you have control over your money instead of your money having control over you. And B, when you make a plan for your money, you are planning it ahead of time. This is you deciding, okay, here's my money and this is what it's going to get spent on. So there's a couple points that I want to make on this second principle. Yes, you need a spending plan. I am not one of those money gurus that is like, oh, 
don't worry about it. Just like automate everything and, and it'll really just all take care of itself. Yes, of course. I think there is absolutely a place and a purpose for automation within our finances. I'm not about making your life any harder than it needs to be. But I also think that if we want to be as successful as possible, we need to have a clear path of where you are and where you want to get to. And your spending plan, your money map, your budget is that map. It's the path. It's the blueprint that's going to get you there. But if you're like, okay, well, I'm not even doing this right now. I'm not budgeting. I don't have a plan for my money. How do I do this? Where do I even start? I'm going to point you to episodes five and six of this podcast where we talk all about budgeting, both the mindset piece of it, which for many is the biggest hurdle that they actually need to get over, but then also listen to episode six, which is more tactical in nature, and I walk you through step-by-step exactly how I budget. Let's come back to this 24 hours in advance component. Why am I including this? Why am I telling you to plan your spending at least 24 hours in advance? This 24-hour rule really becomes beneficial in the fight against impulsively spending money, spending money on a whim. I always say that impulsively spending money means that you are spending money that you didn't plan ahead of time to spend. And when we are impulsively spending money, your lizard caveman brain is running the show. The part of your brain that is just seeking a quick squirt of dopamine that simply just wants you to feel good. But I'm always telling you guys that your lizard brain, your caveman brain, does not have your best and highest interest at heart. It just doesn't. Again, it just wants to do what's going to make you feel warm and fuzzy. But when we have this 24-hour rule and we can stick to this rule, it prevents us from letting our lizard brain run the show. It prevents us from living our lives on default. Because when we can plan our spending ahead of time, at a minimum 24 hours in advance, the planning and the thinking that happens there is coming from the human part of your brain, your prefrontal cortex, not the lizard part of your brain. And this is why I call it utilizing your prefrontal power. Because when you are making decisions from the human and the future-focused part of your brain, you make decisions that are in your best interest, and you're making decisions that are going to propel you towards the healthiest, happiest, wealthiest version of your future self. I'm going to give you a very tangible example of this for me. This actually happened just a couple days ago, okay? So I was on Facebook, of course. I was served an ad like we all get multiple times a day. And it was for this adorable dress. Like seriously, when I saw it, I let out a little gasp. Do y'all ever do that? I was like, oh my gosh, that is such a cute dress. And so then, of course, I clicked on the ad and I went on the website and I started looking at all the pictures of the dress and reading all the reviews and you know, imagining myself wearing the dress and the shoes and the accessories that I would style it with. But then guess what? I came back to it, snapped out of it, and I was like, okay, 24-hour rule. I am not going to buy this dress right now. I'm going to wait at least 24 hours. Buying this dress was not a purchase that I planned ahead of time. Like, I didn't even know this dress existed 24 hours ago. But the deal is, is that if I'm still thinking about this dress in 24 hours and I still really want it and it's within the spending plan, I can come back and buy it in 24 hours. Now, I do this all the time. And I want you guys to know that I also implement this 24 hour rule in other areas of my life. 
planning my eating protocol. I use this rule with alcohol. I know I've talked about alcohol a lot, but it's just the work that I'm doing right now. But I plan it with alcohol. If I'm going to drink alcohol, I plan it 24 hours in advance. If it's not planned 24 hours in advance, I don't do it. I also did this a couple days ago. Again, another app that I saw for this like gas glove thing. It's this thing that you keep inside of your gas compartment in your car. And it's like this glove thing that you can put on your hand and use like while you're getting gas. I was going to get it for my husband. He's kind of a germaphobe. He hates getting gas because he always hates touching the gas handle. I got an ad for it. and I was like, oh my gosh, like Ryan would love this. This is like such a perfect little gift for him. It was like 10 bucks. But again, I didn't buy it because it didn't follow the 24-hour rule. Now, sometimes we go, uh, you know what? It's just $10. Like it doesn't matter. But the amount isn't as important as the principle and the planning you're spending ahead of time, whether it is a $100 dress or a $10 gas glove gadget thingy. And I will tell you that because of this 24-hour rule, I actually ended up buying neither of those items. I didn't make the purchase when my brain was in that lizard state. I kind of gave myself 24 hours for my brain to cool off. And I kind of decided like, yeah, I don't really need either of these things. So this is why we plan our spending at least 24 hours in advance at a minimum. Because when we do, we are making decisions with our prefrontal power that always has your long-term best interest in mind instead of just doing what feels good in the moment. One more point here I want to make. So sometimes people ask me like, okay, well, so are you saying that like I'm driving home from dinner one night and I'm tired and exhausted and I've had a long day and I don't want to cook dinner, so I just want to like drive through Chick-fil-A? Are you saying that I can't do that because I didn't plan it 24 hours in advance? No, not saying that at all. Again, this is why your spending plan is so powerful. For me, I have eating out, dining out as a part of my spending plan. And that's what your spending plan is. When you make a budget, when you make a spending plan, that's you using your prefrontal power ahead of time to say, this is what I'm going to spend my money on this month. So if you have money in your budget for eating out, this doesn't have to be the type of thing where you're like, well, I can't go to Chick-fil-A. I can't go through the drive through because I didn't plan it 24 hours in advance. It's like, no, if it's a part of your spending plan, if you accounted for that money being spent ahead of time, that's the same thing. So I do want to make that distinction. Now, let's go on to the third principle, which is that a good spender has a priority for their money and for their spending. I'm not going to spend a ton of time on this principle because I've actually already done an entire podcast episode on just this one principle. It got released early May. It's episode 43, I believe. It's called The Priority of Your Money. But after you wrap up this episode, if you either miss that episode or you just need a refresher, go listen to that episode because I walk through this principle in a lot of detail. But just to summarize it to you quickly, this means that when it comes to your spending, there are certain things based on our hierarchy of human needs and our financial health that should come before others. For example, paying your rent is more important and should take priority overpaying for your Netflix and Spotify subscriptions, right? Or buying another pair of biker shorts that you have in three other colors that you don't really need. Now, this concept matters and is really important because a lot of people do not have a priority for their money. And so what we see with the majority of people is that they struggle to make progress with their finances because their priority is all out of whack. They spend their money on things that really should be taking a lower priority, which then means that there's not as much to cover the items and the categories that are the higher priority. 
there are five priorities and it goes in this order. It goes your necessities, like your rent, your utilities, your medical care. Then you cover your minimum debt obligations because I don't want you falling behind on that. Then you fund your current financial goal, which that's kind of the equivalent of paying yourself first. You fund your sinking funds, which is you saving for future expenses that you know are coming. That's you being proactive versus reactive. And then the last thing are your wants. It's the opposite of necessities. It's things like your Netflix, dining out, Spotify, beauty, home decor, things like that. But when you have a priority for your money and you spend according to that priority, like I said, you are paying yourself first. And like the 24-hour rule, you are managing your money in a way that has your future self top of mind. It's a very future-focused way to spend your money, which is why it's one of the five principles. So that's all I'm going to say on that one. Again, go listen to episode 43. It's a 30-minute podcast episode just on that third principle. The fourth spending principle is that your spending is aligned with your values. I like to call these your money loves. Basically, what are the things that you love to spend money on because they bring you a tremendous amount of value? Those are the things that I want you to be spending the bulk of your money on, and I want you cutting your spending in other areas where the value exchange simply isn't there for you. Now, for this principle, I want you to think about value. The value that you receive from your money and also the value that you receive for items, services, or experiences that you exchange for your money. And that's what money is. That is why money was created in the first place, so that we have something tangible that we value that then we can exchange for something else that we also see value in. That's what money is. Money is a value for value exchange. Now, I'm walking you through this because there are a lot of people who are exchanging money for things where the value for value exchange is out of balance. It's out of whack. And what I mean by that is that the value that you get from the thing that you exchange your money for does not exceed the value of the money that you exchanged it for. I'm going to say that one more time. I know that's a little bit confusing, but the value that you get from the thing that your money bought you does not exceed the value of the money that you exchanged for it. Now, if you're like, well, what determines that, right? Like what determines the value that I get out of something? Well, it's you. It's you that determines that. It's the value that you assign to something based on your own unique values and your personality and your desires and your goals. It's really what the thing provides you and to what level. So how many uses do you get out of it? How much time will it save you? How happy does it make you? How much energy does it save you or give you? It's going to be a different lens depending on what we're talking about. But the value that is received from the things that we exchange our money for is determined by you. And it's going to be totally different person to person. So here's an example for me. Take designer handbags, right? I am not a designer handbag girl. I don't personally see any value from them. They don't really do it for me. But I know that's not the case for everyone. I know that that's just how I feel about it based on me being me, my unique beliefs and values and personality. Like I understand that for some people, it's like an Olympic sport collecting designer handbags. 
And honestly, many do. And they can be a great investment, actually, when they're taken care of properly. That's just one thing for me. I would never spend $2,000 on a designer handbag. Because again, the value of that $2,000 to me, the value of the money does not exceed the value that I would get out of having the handbag. But it might for someone else. For someone else, the value of the handbag might exceed the $2,000 value that they're going to pay for it. And everything that costs something has value, whether it costs a dollar or whether it costs $10,000. As a society, we see some level of value in it, and that is why it costs something. But The million-dollar question that you need to be asking yourself is, is the value of this item valuable to me? Is the value of this item valuable to me? And when we can start evaluating your spending through the lens of, yes, of course, this item has some level of value. That's why it costs something. But will that value be valuable to me? And that is a very big distinction. When we can start asking that question, we can start aligning our spending to match our values. What I want to see you guys doing is spending a majority of your money on items where the value of the item is going to exceed the value of the money that you had to exchange for it. And like I said, a lot of people aren't doing that. They're doing the opposite. The value of the money is exceeding the value of the item because we are making spending decisions that are so impulsive. So we are spending a lot of money on things that over time we really don't get the value out of. And these are the things that end up tucked away in your house, under the sink, in the closet, in the basement, in the attic. It's the services that you subscribe to, but you never really use. It's the clothes that you buy and you only wear one time and then they get stuffed to the back of your closet. Do you see what I'm saying? Just the value exchange is not there. It's out of balance. So this principle and really nailing it requires a level of evaluation of your past spending that you've done, but also a level of introspection so that you can identify what your money loves are. Your money loves are the categories of spending that you do where the value that you receive from the item exceeds the value of the money that you exchanged for it. It's going to be different for all of us. For some of us, it's traveling. For some of us, it's experiences like going out to eat or concerts. For others, it's convenience, buying time. For others, it's luxury items like luxury handbags, luxury shoes. For some, it's health and wellness. It can also be generosity, investing in your relationships, investing in personal development. There is no right answer and no best category, but it's rather evaluating your past spending habits and paying attention to past purchases that you've made where you're like, oh, gosh darn it, that felt so good. And I'll say this, not feels good in like a quick dopamine hit, eating the sleeve of Oreos kind of way, where it feels good in the moment, but then there's that crash, that hangover. It's like feels good in the long term. Like when you spend money in these areas, you feel like you've made a really good purchase. There is value there for you. You know that you're going to get your money's worth, and it feels very aligned to who you are as an individual. A great question that I've told you guys to ask before is, before you buy something asking, okay, a month from now, am I going to still want this item, service, or experience, or am I going to want my money back? And there are those purchases where you're like, no, no, I, I genuinely think that in a month from now or a year from now, I'm still going to want the item or the service. I'm not going to want my money back that I had to exchange for it. 
I think we've all done spending and we've all made purchases that are both where we can tell the difference between the two. We can tell when we are making a purchase just to chase a dopamine hit. And then later we're like, well, crap, now I feel terrible. And honestly, I'd give this item back to have my money back versus no, this was actually a really fantastic use and exchange of my money. All right. So that's the fourth principle. Align your spending to your values. The fifth and final principle for being a good spender is that you are tracking your spending. Now, I know when I say this to some of you, you cringe because when I say that, you're imagining this step being a very cumbersome process. But I'm here to tell you that it does not have to be. There are people who manually track their spending. They write down and log every single penny spent because they want to, and it works really well for them. And if you are one of those people, I think that is fantastic. Find what works for you, stick with it, go with it. But foremost, I will say that the easier and the more automatic that we can make this process, the better. And that is why I was saying that I think that there definitely is a place for automation with your money. And tracking your spending is one of those areas where I say, let technology do the heavy lifting for you. I track every penny I spend, whether it is out of my checking account or whether it's on a credit card, and I do it through YNAB. That's you need a budget. It's the budgeting software I use. I have all of my accounts linked into YNAB, and the system is consistently pulling through all of my transactions. And then every morning I sit down, I log into YNAB, I take a glance at my spending from the day or two prior, I categorize and confirm the spending that I've done, and then I'm off with the rest of my day. But the reason that this is a principle to being a good spender is that I think it is so key to have a deep level of intimacy with your money and with your spending, to not just brush everything under the rug, to actually pay attention to what is going on, you guys. Like, Have a sense of where your money is going and the purpose that it is serving in your life. But secondly, there is no point in planning your spending ahead of time and making a plan for your money if you're not going to track your spending to see how closely you're adhering to that plan. Like I always say, if you make a budget and you don't track your spending, that's not really budgeting. The tracking piece is honestly more important than the plan itself because without the tracking, the plan becomes pointless, right? Tracking your spending doesn't have to be hard or difficult. It doesn't have to take up a lot of time. My guideline is that you should be spending about an hour each month, one hour a month, checking in with your finances. So if we break that down, that's one to two minutes a day, 15 minutes a week. I don't think that any of us can honestly say that we do not have that amount of time to give to one of our most important resources in life, our money. So this last principle kind of brings it all together, right? It's the principle that wraps everything up with a bow. Because when you are doing all the other principles, you're spending money, you're planning it ahead of time, your money has a priority, and it's also aligned to your values, then the tracking piece is kind of like the gut check, the QC process. Like, are we spending in accordance to all these other principles? Yes or no? Now, I know a lot of you might have resistance against the tracking piece because you don't have confidence in your ability to stick to a plan that you make, to spend money in this way. And so you're avoiding it because you don't really want to have to face the failure in a sense. And look, perfection is not the goal here. It never is. I have never once ever perfectly stuck to a spending plan. 
I honestly don't think I ever will. But I also want to challenge you in the fact that if you're not tracking your spending, you are basically guaranteeing that you won't stick to the plan. And oftentimes the gap, the deficit between what you said you were going to do and what you actually end up doing is going to be wider. You'll be much farther off the plan that you make if you're not tracking what's going on on a consistent basis. So that is why the tracking piece is so critical. Okay, those are the five principles of what makes someone a good spender. Let's recap so you have them all in one place. One, a good spender is actually spending money. Two, a good spender plans their spending ahead of time, at least 24 hours in advance. Three, a good spender has a priority for their spending. Four, a good spender aligns their spending to their unique values. And five, a good spender tracks their spending. Here is my hope for you and ultimately why I created these principles. I want all of us to become not just good. Let's go for better than good. Let's say excellent. I want all of us to become excellent spenders. One of my money mantras is that I am an excellent spender. I tell myself that. I say, I am an excellent spender. Like, I really do believe about myself that I am really good at spending money in a fun, yet controlled and purposeful way. And that is what I am here to help all of you do. Because spending money does not have to be an unpleasant thing. It shouldn't be an unpleasant thing. It shouldn't be an event that is ridden with guilt and shame and scarcity. I want you to feel good. I want you to feel confident and in control when you're spending your money. I want it to be an activity and an action that you take that actually moves you closer to where you want to get to financially rather than moving you farther away from where you want to be financially. And that's what a lot of people are doing. But these principles are how we make that happen. Now, last thing here. If you're like, okay, got it. Understand the principles. Intellectually, I understand them. But how do I actually go out and implement these in my life and have a level of accountability? So in previous episodes, I want to give you guys an update on Money Love. I've had some of you asking about when is it going to be available? How much is it going to cost? What's it going to be? What's it going to look like? I will give you an update there. Things have obviously changed. Uh, 2021 has not gone according to plan at all. So I've really had to just pivot and kind of change the direction of where things are going. But I am still working on Money Love. And just so you know, Money Love is going to be the community that you can join where you can learn all of these principles, you can implement all of these principles, but you can also be in a community of women who are all trying to do the same thing. There's going to be a community aspect of it, but there's also going to be weekly live coaching. So every single month, if you are a member of the Money Love community, you can come onto coaching calls with me where you can volunteer to get coached, you can bring all of your questions, all of your issues, and I will coach you live. I want you to know that that will be coming in the fall. I know I said summer, but again, things have just been crazy and have changed. So it'll be coming in the fall. For the very first round of founding members, I'm only going to allow a certain amount of members in the first round. I'm only going to allow a certain number of founding members. So if you want to be one of those founding members, if you want to be first in the door, which means you're going to get the lowest pricing I will ever offer, go ahead and join the waitlist. If you're not on the waitlist already, 
The link to join the waitlist is actually in the show notes of this episode. Just click on it. You're going to enter in your email and then you will be on the waitlist. And waitlist members will actually have first priority to join. I'm actually going to open up the community to waitlist members first, allow all the waitlist members to come in who want to come in, and then I will open it up to everybody else. So if you want to make sure that you're a part of that, go ahead and join the waitlist. But these are going to be the foundational spending principles that will govern the money love community. I will teach you the principles. I will help you implement them in your own finances. And then you will have a community of support, but you will also have my support every single week, once or twice a week with live coaching. So you can actually get very hands-on personalized help and advice from me. Okay, you guys. I know this episode has been a little longer than usual, a doozy. I'm so glad I got to share these principles with you. I've been working on them for a while, and I hope to see you all in the Money Love Club. So go ahead and join the waitlist, and I will see you all next Tuesday. Have a fabulous week. I love you all. Bye. Hey, girl. If you enjoyed this episode, I want to invite you to join me in Overcoming Overspending. It's my signature program where I take you through my three-phase approach to stop impulse shopping and overspending so that you can finally start making substantial progress with your finances. Through the self-paced online program, the student community group, and live weekly coaching with me, you will receive all the encouragement you need to finally achieve lasting change with your money habits that have been sabotaging you for so long. You'll have money back in your pocket. You will leave behind the stress and the worry that you currently experience with money, and your spending will be controlled, purposeful, and actually feel good and be fun. The best part is it's 100% risk-free. You have a lifetime to implement my proven process. And after doing that, if you don't make your investment back, I will give you a full refund. Your results are guaranteed or the program is on me. Just head over to overcomingoverspending.com to get started. I can't wait to have you as a student within the program.